this is your first. Got it. So if this is your first time um, joining us at Young Urban Zen, uh, the kind of the lay of the land or uh, schedule of events, I guess that's the, the proper term. Um, I'll be sharing some words for the next 20-ish or a little bit more probably this evening since I'm talking about mistakes and there's a lot of them that I've <laughs> occurred. Um, and then we will take some time to hear from the assembly, any questions or comments that folks want to offer. And then we'll have some time for you all to talk amongst yourselves in small group. And I think that's all I have to say to, to, um, for the introductory. So I want to start this evening, um, as many Zen folks do, by dedicating uh, these words or this talk. And tonight, I want to dedicate this to all of my teachers, um, especially my formal teacher, Abbot Ed. Um, as indicated in the uh, email that went out for this evening, I'm going to be sharing uh, some words that were inspired by a chapter in Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind called Mistakes in Practice. And uh, like I just mentioned, I'm kind of a, an expert um, in making these mistakes. And my teaching council has certainly uh, helped me get through a few. So I'm going to start with a uh, quote here from Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind. And it's Suzuki Roshi quoting Dogen. That happens a lot. Um, so I'm going to be quoting them. Uh, Dogen Zenji said, Shoshaku Jushaku. Shaku generally means mistake or wrong. Shoshaku Jushaku means to succeed wrong with wrong, or one continuous mistake. According to Dogen, one continuous mistake can also be Zen. A Zen master's life could be said to be so many years of Shoshaku Jushaku. This means so many years of one single-minded effort. So uh, this continuous effort of tending to our mistakes is a core aspect of Zen practice. And it has always been, well, appealing to me. And to reflect on our everyday life, paying attention to what's there, noticing and practicing with our mistakes, that we make through our body, speech, and mind. Oops, I just used my body to intimidate another person, perhaps, or in my case, uh, or in older days, a middle finger was involved, or oops, I shouldn't have said that to my partner. I could have did that more skillfully. Or most typically for me, ah, I see that my mind is acting from bias, discrimination, greed, and so on. To me, the mistakes are, are really never ending. I even, well, I have a long sleeve shirt on, but I could show you a tattoo that says mistake. Uh, well, it doesn't really say mistake. However, I, I could say that it was probably a mistake to get it. And there's a good chance that if you practice and develop more of a practice, you'll start to see that 
you make more and more mistakes in life. And so fundamentally, we make uh, mistakes, and sometimes those mistakes cause harm to ourselves or others. In service uh, every day here at Zen Center, uh, we have what we call repentances. And you may have heard them if you travel into different Buddhist spaces. Uh, but to, to share them with you, they go like this. All my ancient twisted karma from beginningless greed, hate, and delusion born through body, speech, and mind. I now fully avow. And so we really do say this daily, um, recognizing these well mistakes that we make and the harm that they may cause. So we really practice to attend to our life and these mistakes that we made. Uh, while our life can be seen, as Dogen said, as one continuous mistake, uh, the chapter that uh, I'm going to be referring to is actually just referring to the mistakes we make in our, our path of practice. And so I've always found uh, this chapter useful, and so I thought I would share a little bit about it and then also reflect on uh, some of the mistakes that I've, I've made in my own practice. Um, as we kind of open up this discussion, I did want to say that some of the uh, mistakes that are brought forth may actually feel contradicting. And one way of understanding this contradiction is to think about your practice path. And as you practice and you go down your path, sometimes you may go too far to the right, and sometimes you may go too far to the left. And so uh, that's why we, if you're around long enough, we have an emphasis on the middle way. Um, we're kind of finding a balance between the relative and absolute. So for the purpose of this talk, try to just assess uh, where you are today and know that a practice mistake today may not be so in the next moment. So I thought it would be cool to, to kind of uh, cover a certain amount or at least make more sense. So I'll cover about 10 practice mistakes here. And I have some 0.5s, which will make more sense as we go on. But uh, these are probably 10 out of hundreds that you could make, um, but they're just what's most alive for me today. So the first two uh, mistakes, uh, Suzuki Roshi speaks to very well. So I'll return to the book for these. Um, he says, there are several poor ways of practice which you should understand. Usually when you practice Zazen, and you could also uh, substitute Zazen for life, you become very idealistic and you set up an ideal or a goal which you strive to attain and fulfill. But as I have often said, this is absurd. When you're idealistic, you have some gaining idea within yourself. By the time you attain your ideal or goal, your gaining idea will create another ideal. So as long as your practice is based on a gaining idea and your practice and you practice Zazen in an idealistic way, 
you'll have no time actually to attain your ideal. Moreover, you'll be sacrificing the meat You'll be sacrificing the meat of your practice. Because your attainment is always ahead, you'll always be sacrificing yourself now for some ideal goal in the future. You'll end up with nothing. This is absurd. It is not adequate practice at all. But even worse than this idealistic attitude is to practice Zazen in com competition with somebody. This is a poor, shabby kind of practice. I love that he says shabby. That's like my, my new word now. So practicing uh, with competition with somebody, oh, I need to sit straighter. Or, oh, they seem so, so still and, and just perfect in their practice. That shabby practice. Uh, to practice in some idealistic way to attain something, that too is shabby practice. Um, and I, I believe as Suzuki Roshi described, and th this gaining mind, this desire to attain, achieve, or succeed is actually what most of us are trying to settle so that we can be who we are in this very moment and become uh, present with life as it is right now. So when we do practice in that, that way of, of attaining the kind of habit energy uh, that is, is prevalent um, can keep us chasing. And uh, I think it can be found very commonly in modern day society. And it's been karmically uh, rooted in us from our ancestors and society itself. So as Suzuki Roshi uh, mentioned, this habit energy of putting our well-being, our success, and our livelihood some distant place in the future creates a karmic path that can make it hard or impossible to ever find ourselves where we are. So uh, even if we achieve this supposed goal or destination, our habitual energy, our way of being and kind of chasing a carrot um, really does not allow us to, to cultivate a sense of presence. And we usually just keep tossing ourselves into the next thing to achieve or energetically, we really haven't learned how to be present. So again, that's why we practice and address our karma in this very moment. So mistake 2.5, um, because I think that, that this often comes up, is this difference between um, achieving or goal setting and an intention. And so the mistake number 2.5 is not practicing actually with intention for the, for the moment or your long-term uh, practice. And so setting an intention is different from attaching to a goal or some type of um, achievement in the future. It's actually connected, your intention is connected to the present moment uh, with a wholehearted uh, trust in your practice, in your moment to moment practice manifestation. So mistake number uh, three is uh, another significant that my teacher, Abbot Ed, often speaks to, and that's not trusting your own Buddha nature. And so the big question that always comes up is, well, what's Buddha nature? And in part, I'm gonna just refer you to our Dharma talk uh, archive that you can find at sfzc.org um, or really any 
where that you find for a source of Dharma because it's a talk in itself. Uh, but for the, the sake of this talk, um, Buddha nature in short is just being yourself. Um, true to yourself, like a rock is a rock, a frog is a frog, complete in this very moment. And part of uh, my personal view of, of uh, practicing to trust yourself is having a love for yourself and love the type of love that's non-discriminating, that is really absolute. Love for your being, uh, love for your existence. And not to say that we are, are, are perfect, um, but we are all deserving of love from ourselves. And this love can be obviously extended to other things and other beings. Um, and then of course, I will give you a couple of words that uh, Suzuki Roshi had to say about that. I could find my bookmark here. Oh, can read it off of here. But the way that each thing exists is not to be understood by itself in its own realm of consciousness. What we see or what we hear is just part or a limited idea of what we actually are. But when we just are, each just existing in his own way, we are expressing Buddha himself. In other words, when we practice something such as Zazen, then there is Buddha's way or Buddha's nature. When we ask what Buddha nature is, it vanishes. But when we just practice Zazen, we have full understanding of it. The only way to understand Buddha nature is to just practice Zazen, just to be here as we are. So what Buddha meant by Buddha nature was to be there as he was, beyond the realm of consciousness. Buddha nature is our original nature. We have it before we practice Zazen and before we acknowledge it in terms of consciousness. So in this sense, whatever we do is Buddha's activity. If you want to understand it, you cannot understand it. But when you give up understanding it, true understanding is already there. And so to that point, uh, perhaps let's give up trying to understand it for now and uh, just have some tea. So now I'll continue with, I think, some more straightforward mistakes in practice, or at least ones that, that I am uh, continuously dealing with uh, on a daily basis. And so mistake number four is not having uh, a teacher or a, a source of wisdom that has walked the path before you did. And as I mentioned in the beginning, I have various teachers. I have a couple of Zen teachers. I have young urban Zen teachers that always Come with great teachings and comments at the end of talks. I have DEI teachers, uh, diversity teachers. I have a relationship teacher in the form of a, a couple therapists. And I also have my core teacher, uh, four-year-old Maya, who uh, try to keep by my side as much as possible. 
And it's really important to know that it's in our human nature. Uh, the kind of cycle of life is to be born, to learn, to integrate what we learn and then transmit it. And we do this on small scales and on grand scales. And so most of us have, at least in the, the realm of practice um, and our, our senses of path, we have a practice and we've been born onto and we're learning. And so it's really important to know that you can gain for those, from those who have learned and integrated um, the, the path that you're walking and able to then transmit and guide us in our experience. So on the flip side of that, got mistake 4.5. And that's don't always uh, rely on a teacher. Um, at Zen Center, we have what are called practice leaders. And these practice leaders are assigned to us or we can choose them. Um, but basically we meet with them on at least a monthly basis and get anything from our questions answered to guidance, to organizational navigation, for, for lack of better words. And some people um, have what I would call a practice leader discussion, and or not discussion, excuse me, an obsession. And so what seems to happen is that they try to constantly engage with not only their practice leader, but multiple practice leaders. And this kind of energy can show up in, in other areas of life. And it's not that, um, you know, checking in with teacher is good, but part of our practice is to learn how to be a resource to yourself. And so if you're constantly trying to crutch every decision you make on guidance, uh, then again, you're, you're missing out on the point of, of practice. And so while it's good to have a teacher, it's also good to, to be your own teacher um, when the time is right. So moving on, uh, mistake number five, and this is in the, the realm somewhat of, of attainment that we started with. And part of the mistake of, of having a goal in mind is the fundamental goal that I think most people at, at one point think of when they start at least a meditation practice. And that is that your mind should be completely clear and some type of belief that uh, meditation should mean that you cease all thoughts, leaving you completely present and aware. And all I can say is I, I bow deeply to you. Um, good luck with that. And unless you're in a completely remote, far off monastic environment without any secular input, um, you can really throw that that idea or that goal out the window. Um, it's important to realize that our minds are literally made to, to think. And if you have input coming in, whether that's relationships, uh, work, um, the combo of media, social media, um, uh, political information, social justice, et cetera, et cetera, your mind will definitely spit out some of, of that which it's exposed to. Um, however, the point with sitting um, and particularly are to form a different type of relationship uh, with those things so you can have a greater sense of, of ease or don't get kind of hooked away and can bring yourself uh, back to the present moment uh, and, and gain perhaps a little more sanity. 
So we're just gonna move right along here. Practice mistake number uh, six uh, has to do with self-care. Um, and something that I've observed uh, with people who start to develop a, a pretty consistent and deep meditation practice is they can over rely on that and uh, kind of skip over other aspects of self-care. Um, so at least in the monastery, uh, monastic life, there's a lot of exposure to lack of sleep, um, a monastic diet, which might not be as, as full or robust as um, is most healthy, a renunciate uh, lifestyle. And all these things can definitely lead to awakening. Uh, I mean, the historical Buddha didn't engage or did engage in years of um, asceticism, which almost led to, to their demise. Um, and uh, while it does have value, I think to, to dabble in those areas, um, I think it's an overall practice mistake to, to fully uh, dive in that way. So for myself, I like to keep at least things well-rounded when it comes to self-care. So it includes, again, a well-rounded and healthy diet, exercise, whether that's running, yoga, um, going to the gym uh, sometimes, and then also healthy practices uh, such as getting proper rest, um, mental health uh, supports such as either somatic, trauma-informed um, or psychotherapy. And last of all, I think, um, and I should have probably prefaced with this, is just having some fun and cultivating joy. Um, I should have said earlier that, you know, really we're gonna talk about um, mistakes, but part of, of that can also make people kind of serious. And so I think keeping a sense of levity and joy is very, important. So overall, just don't use meditation for spiritual bypass and just kind of, um, yeah, meditating uh, through life, so to speak. So uh, mistake number seven is similar to the, to the teacher uh, or the teacher point five, but that's not to rely solely on a guide. Um, and similar um, to the, I was saying around a teacher, uh, but this is more specific to guided meditations. Uh, so whether it's apps like Calm, uh, Insight Timer, which we're actually gonna do a short meditation from later, uh, the advice in, in this mistake is don't only do medi guided meditations for your meditation practice. Um, or even whether it's just the, the beginning of yas. So part of the point of, of meditation or developing a practice is the ability or cultivate the ability to rely on yourself to settle or bring awareness to your present moment. And if you've gotten too used to a guide, which totally can be uh, helpful, I, I do use them regularly, um, it's not like you can go into the next maybe date that you're on or a job interview and sit down and be like, oh, hold on one moment. I, I gotta put in my earbuds and, and, and settle myself and do a couple of breathing techniques. Um, you really want to be able to 
know how to be intimately connected with your breath and um, your psyche. And so sometimes it's good to put down the guide. Uh, so mistake number eight is not trying on other styles or traditions, and whether that's religions, non-religions, uh, areas of mysticism, I encourage you to learn about other traditions and, and shop around a bit, uh, even though you know we're kind of advocating Zen here, which I, I do have to say can kind of encompass all, okay? So you can bring any anything in with Zen, but um, nevertheless, uh, the, the mistake um, that I'm advocating to avoid here is to be curious really of how other people of past and present have related to what it means to be human and how to connect with this thing that we call life. I personally made this mistake. I came to Zen Center um, about 10 years ago and just fell in love with the practice. I knew almost from my first time in a Zendo that, yeah, this was for me. And for almost 10 years, I didn't uh, step outside of the tradition except for like a couple of little workshops or guided meditations of, uh, of sort. Um, but it wasn't until I actually steeped myself in some Vipassana trainings that I really realized what I had been missing out on. And not only will it kind of inform you, but my belief is it'll actually highlight and kind of amplify whatever practice you do settle with to become more well-rounded and, and feel more connected. So don't be afraid to, to kind of look around. So on the other hand of that, again, I told you there's going to be some contradicting. In uh, mistake number 8.5, the other mistake I've seen people make uh, from time to time is not going deep enough in one practice and really just kind of butterflying around from Dharma center to Dharma center, tradition, tradition, religion, to religion, and just kind of scratching the surface and uh, not really kind of going deep. And there's a Zen saying that more or less uh, goes, to do one practice fully is to do all practices fully. And in order to do this, um, it may be uh, important for you to familiar, uh, familiarize yourself with other landscapes, but at some point, uh, try to stick to something. So that's 8.5. So probably it's like 9 or, or 10. But anyways, the mistake number 10 um, will actually, or 9, whatever one it is, is kind of an, an offshoot of the last um, except a little bit more uh, nuance. And that's um, sticking too hard to an ideal practice or a prescribed practice of some sort. So not just a religion, but a particular way of uh, meeting things. And this kind of sticking too hard can also include sticking too much to a set of ideas or beliefs. And so Suzuki Roshi, I'm going to read a quote. And what I feel that the following text uh, points to is actually really relevant um, in considering some of the turmoil and conflict that we see in the world today, uh, whether that be in the realm of politics, religion, uh, diversity in thought, 
and in uh, just general societal or worldviews. And so he says, the cause of conflict is some fixed idea or one-sided idea. When everyone knows the value of pure practice, we'll have little conflict in the world. This is the secret of our practice in Dogen Zenji's way. Dogen repeats this point in his book, Shobu Genzo, a true, or excuse me, a treasury of the true Dharma. If you understand the cause of conflict as some fixed or one-sided idea, you can find meaning in various practices without being caught by any of them. If you do not realize this point, you will be easily caught by some particular way. And you will say, this is enlightenment. This is perfect practice. This is our way. The rest of the ways are not perfect. This is the best way. And he says, this is a big mistake. There is no particular way in true practice. You should find your own way. And you should know what kind of practice you have right now. Knowing both the advantages and disadvantages of some special practice, you can practice that special way without danger. But if you have a one-sided attitude, you will ignore the disadvantage of the practice emphasizing only its good part. And I feel like many people or many of us do that uh, today. Eventually you will discover the worst side of practice and become discouraged when it's too late. This is silly. We should be grateful that the ancient teachers point out this mistake. So um, before I uh, close the talk, um, I know it was kind of heady. And again, I, I don't want uh, you to go and just constantly think of the mistakes that you could be making. Again, try not to take uh, your practice that seriously. Um, so I wanted to, to close with two quotes that I thought kind of um, I don't know, hit, hit some of the fundamental points here. And they're not by Buddhist uh, folks. Well, the second one may kind of be, but uh, the first one's from, a, I just found them off the internet, by the way, um, but, but liked them. One of them is by, a, a, I believe, an Irish man who is a literary figure of some sorts. Forgive me if I'm wrong, James Joyce. And he said, mistakes are the portals of discovery. I like that. And then the other uh, quote is, you are more than the mistakes you've made. You are the wisdom, love, strength, and compassion you've gained from all you've been through. And that was um, by Karen Salmoson, who I believe is a contributor on uh, some spiritual um, sources and maybe probably some Buddhist um, uh, writings or sites as well. So anyways, uh, again, please don't let these mistakes um, trip you up. Don't hold them too closely because when we're 
worried about making mistakes that may make us apprehensive about practice. And that certainly was not um, my intention with this talk. And again, the underlying mistake about mistakes is taking yourself too seriously. Uh, so remember, it's important to become okay with making mistakes, which uh, leads me to the little bonus insight um, uh, meditation that we'll go out with. And I guess you could kind of look at it as a, a bonus mistake. And uh, really, it, what he speaks to is um, acceptance, acceptance in yourself um, that there's not always something to fix. And with that, we'll, we'll close with a short meditation. I don't know if I'm saying this fellow's name right. I think it's Loke or Loke Kelly. Somebody can correct me in a, a little bit. Um, but it's titled No Problem to Solve. And so I, I thought that after hearing of, of all these mistakes, that this would be a nice way to end. So let me put him up to the mic here. So let's do this glimpse practice now. No need to set up in a particular position. You can have your eyes open or closed. And just inquire by asking yourself this question and then looking with awareness to see what's true, to see what's here. Don't try to understand the... I'm sorry, I don't know where my phone is. So let's do this glimpse practice now. We're gonna do the glimpse practice again, I guess. So let's do no this mistakes, right? glimpse practice now. No need to set up in a particular position. You can have your eyes open or closed. And just inquire by asking yourself this question and then looking with awareness to see what's true, to see what's here. Don't try to understand the inquiry intellectually. Just ask, look with awareness, and wait to see what is aware and who is here. So here's the inquiry to ask yourself. What is here now if there's no problem to solve? Notice what's aware, or ask yourself again, what is here now when there's no problem to solve on the level of identity? Just let go of that problem solver. What is aware? Who is here? What is absent? what has dropped away and what qualities begin to show up. When there's nothing to know, to create or become,
what is here when you are not the problem solver? Nowhere to go, nothing to do, no one to become. Just now, what is here? See for yourself, feel into, experience directly the awareness that is essential, that is here. with curiosity, with a letting go, what is here now when there's no problem to solve? I thought that would be a good way uh, to end, talk about mistakes. And so appreciate your attention and I hope that was useful. So.